Hello and welcome to the Keen on Things podcast, where I'm basically operating out of my closet in the bedroom of my bunker in Beverly Glen, Los Angeles, California. Episode 27. At what point do I stop saying what number episode it is? Probably pretty soon. It's not like the Super Bowl. So what time did the Super Bowl? I, that that early? Two sentences in? I'm talking about football. Uh, but it is, it's like that where the, um, yeah, where the, uh, the number of the Super Bowl really doesn't matter. I don't know what we're trying to keep track of there. I'm going to see if I can go an episode without football at some point. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm halfway up the hill from Westwood. Kind of up the hill from Westwood, Bel Air, between Sunset and Mulholland. Beverly Glen Center. I've seen things, man. I've seen things that you people wouldn't believe. I've seen Rod Stewart drinking at Starbucks, staring out into the great abyss, the great beyond. <coughs> Without a care in the world, totally approachable, accessible with his lady. Um, I see either Ace Freely or, uh, I don't know, Paul Stanley, one of those guys from Kiss. I see Fred Dreyer from Hunter. They all hang out at Beverly Glen Center. A lot of, lot of, lot of sightings. Old school. Old school. Um, I'm your host, Patrick Keene. The graphic that goes with this podcast was done by my good friend Todd Spence, just an amazing artist. I've been texting with him and our friend Z, Zania. We were all friends when we worked on the Jimmy Kimmel show together. Kimmel, we call it. The insiders call it Kimmel. And it's funny because sometimes I think, wow, man, there was a time when I spent so much time with my high school or college friends or family. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I got to see them every day. And you, you wonder if you took enough advantage of that, right? There's a time when I got to see my whole family every day, every meal almost. And, you know, my group of friends from Santa Margarita or Carroll College or, or Kumamoto Gaku and Daigaku, um, naturally we take it all for granted. But, uh, you know, but the truth is we have that in our lives in some capacity at all times, you know. I used to get to see Zania and Todd every day at Kimmel. Um and now I don't. And now there's people I do see that someday I'll be like, wow, I can't believe I got to see them every day. Um, if you're in a rough relationship, then that's probably the opposite. But anyway, uh, now Todd's and he and I are in different places and uh, only see each other a couple times a year, doing different things, intertwine where we can when we're working on stuff that uh, hopefully has both of our interests. Um, but LA, weirdly to me, gets bigger as you get older. Maybe all towns do. It's just, it's... Um, you know, it, it has to be a special plan or event for me to go, you know, Pasadena, downtown, uh, Venice, Hermosa. It has to be like a lunch. It, it, I don't know. It used to be just like, yeah, let's head out. Let's waste the day. But uh, you get a little more selective with age. And uh, you're like, oh, no, I'm not going. I'm not going all the way to West Hollywood from Beverly Glen for a drink. Um, anyway, Todd, Zinni, and I, we still talk on email and text. Constant communication flow nowadays is amazing. To be able to constantly be in touch with someone's phone that you know they have theirs on them at all times as well strange phenomenon good and bad right good and bad uh anyway good to be here right good to be here good to be here good to be anywhere we want to be here that's the idea we want to exist right even if it gets bad between grief and nothing i'll take grief that was ed rooney from ferris Bueller's day off uh that said that he was quoting something larger and greater, but uh, I don't know what it is. To me, it's Ed Rooney. To Ed Rooney, it was a great philosopher. Um, I do see nowadays, whether it's in my little world, Los Angeles, <clears throat> Orange County, or San Diego, people are more irritable, 
driving crazy, tailgating, not the good tailgating, the right on your tail on the freeway. I notice it. I notice the anger. Maybe it's because I'm driving calmer these days with all the self-help books and the uh, positive thinking YouTube videos. But uh, maybe it's because of the frust frustration of this partial lockdown now that we're in. I, I think I think it is. I don't know what else could be attributed to. Maybe the election. But uh, I noticed it in all three areas, not just L.A., you know. L.A., San Diego, Orange County. I've been going to Orange County a couple times a month now. And then uh, I drove to San Diego to watch Notre Dame Central Florida game with my Uncle Tim on Saturday. My Uncle Tim lives down there with his wife, Mary. I can't call her my aunt. I mean, we're all the same age, right? So, But uh, I got a text from Tim that morning, and he said, uh, game's on in a few hours. He's like, uh, Notre Dame at 11.30, Celtics at 5.30. You know? And I was like, I just got a wild hair and was like, uh, which I don't really love that expression. I said, I'll head down, man. If you want to watch together, I'll head down. He said, sure. I raced down there. Uh, left early enough, thought I'd get there in two, two and a half hours, but that was easily made into five and a half pretty quick. What happens is the universe hears about your plans and makes an announcement for everyone to get on the five southbound to San Diego, right? People don't even know where they're going. They just have to get down there to block you. They don't block you from getting to the destination. They just slow you down enough to exhaust you and remove all joy from you by the time you do get to destination. It's easier to take sailing lessons out of Marina del Rey and charter a boat and go to Orange County or San Diego than it is to drive to those places. Like, it's easier, it's quicker and easier. You take the boating lessons, the sailing lessons, you charter the boat and you head down and you'll beat your car. You'll beat your own car. Um, but it's weird. My Uncle Tim, who, again, I said is more like my cousin because we're closer in age, we talked about how we were both born in Toledo. Um, he was born in the late 60s. I was born in the, uh, or the mid-60s. I was born in the early 70s in Toledo. And we talked about the distance between Toledo and South Bend. They were about the same distance as L.A. and San Diego, yet so seldom do people from San Diego go to South Bend. You know, as and people L.A. to San Diego's nothing. We'll go down there, go down to Mexico, go up to, um, you know, uh, Santa Barbara and uh, uh, Cal Poly, Pomona. What is No, not Pomona. Cal Poly. Yeah. Go to, no. Is that it? No. What, what, what Central Coast, whatever the hell that is. What the, my favorite place on earth. I can't think of the name of it. But uh, anyway, as much as people there in Toledo love Notre Dame, that's how seldom they go. They, they don't go from Toledo to South Bend, the two-and-a-half-hour drive, two-hour drive. Um, maybe just a few trips over the course of your life. Maybe once a decade they'll go. Maybe. Maybe. I have plenty of relatives and friends that are like, oh, I never went out there. And it's like, really? You I, I can't imagine someone in L.A. saying, I've never been down to San Diego. I don't know. Money? Resources? Interest? Um, but fascinating. Fascinating. I can't tell you that the, the Notre Dame contingent in Toledo, it's huge. It's just Midwest Catholic, all that. It's divided by Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. Great. Anyway, by the time I got to San Diego on Saturday, after traffic, Notre Dame was up 28-0 in the first quarter. And uh, it was over, but hung out. And then um, on the way back up, stopped at uh, a birthday party. And saw John McKeon again, and uh, it was a cowboy theme party. I had my cowboy outfit in the trunk, and I was like, yeah, I'm wearing it. 
got a hat for the occasion. I wore it yesterday again. I might wear it today. Um, but, um, you know, while being down in San Diego for the few short hours, I got to, uh, got to thank the San Diego for the Clippers. Glad to have them. They didn't do it this year and, uh, they didn't, or at least they didn't even get to the finals. They were favored to win the whole thing. They had such a great season. I don't know when they're going to do it. If it's not this year, I don't know. Um, I, I guess give them two more seasons. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know what they're doing in LA. I never have known, you know, even when they had Paul George and, uh, I'm sorry, even when they had Chris Paul, two first names through me, Chris Paul and, um, is it DeAndre Jordan? And they had Blake Griffin. That to me seemed cosmetic. That didn't seem like a team with the grit. This Clipper team seemed like it had the grit, but uh, they'll never have LA's heart. Not like the Lakers do. And I don't know if that even matters. Like if you played for the Mets, would you even care? You're lucky. You're you're lucky, or you're thankful for the contract to be playing in a great market, and you have enough fans. I mean, the Mets White Sox scenario. It's the same as the Clippers. Um, but those teams have been there forever, right? But it's just never going to be the team of the city. It's how modern day feels about Santa Margarita. They're just never going to be us. It's got to be hard for them, poor guys. But they try as they might, you know. But all the best of luck to them. Uh, I think they're doing just fine. Um, but if they keep at it, is Santa Margarita High School still modern day's little brother? I don't know. Um, but I can't imagine Clipper White Sox met status. I'm sure it's fine. They have fan bases. They've been there so long. What well, The Clippers came in 85. The Clippers came at the height of Laker success and fame they won the won the title that year the the lakers did with one of their best teams ever 85 and 87 were two of the best teams i don't know if the lakers tried to block it if jerry buss tried to block that or if he even cared or did anyone even notice it was just so funny they were all of a sudden here with walton um and then the chargers coming here two seasons ago is just outrageous it's like are you serious you guys it's a successful franchise down there you know you've been to a super bowl um have some Hall of Famers, good fan base. What are you doing? I don't know. I might be old. I'm a traditionalist. Maybe it doesn't matter to younger generation. The Clippers were so good and favored this year. Who knows, man? I don't know. If they didn't do it this year, you know, but we say that about a lot of teams, and then they come back with the extra chip on their shoulder the next year and do it, and we'll see. Kawhi is uh, amazing. He's an amazing physical specimen. And uh, I don't know, maybe they were just still checking out the synergy. And also this lockdown playing in the bubble, who knows what that does. That's totally uh, underrated and appreciated for what the toll it can take on people. Okay. Um, so, yeah, still doing the Netflix thing, right? Still, uh, we're in lockdown, so I'm still doing that. I was able to, uh, I was watch. I watched The Keepers on Netflix. And... Um, it's not about bees. I was disappointed. I thought I'd see some some stuff about bees and uh, if they were going to make a comeback because I know they're... Are they endangered species uh, and necessary for the environment? Yes. And I thought that's what it would be about, the keepers. But um, I got to watching it and all this talk of my parochial school upbringing, being Catholic, just it comes back to you, man. And it's about a... Um, Catholic church in Baltimore in the sixties where a priest or two were molesting, not well, molesting and raping women and a nun got wind and she was going to report it and got murdered 
by these guys. They don't know exactly who did it, but they know who was responsible. Um, every religion has its blows that you have to endure, and it's very tough. It's hard to hear, to accept, to move on. Try to justify it. I did as a young person when I was Catholic and heard, uh, you know, being a Catholic and hearing about the things that were going on, um, you know, by priests and such. And But I always try to go by the person, you know. You judge someone who is true. My mother, right, we don't agree on things, but she is a true, like, Catholic, you know. A priest we had growing up, Father Martin, you know. He's the true faith. The John Savage character in Godfather 3, you know, not the greatest trilogy, not the greatest third movie, but he, he's a priest in it, and Michael Corleone tells the family lawyer, played by George Hamilton, he, he's not to be messed with. It's his nephew, it's Tom Hagen's son, Robert Duvall. Uh, he's not to be messed with because he's of the true faith, you know, and that's regardless of religion, you know, uh, my buddy who runs our old high school, true faith. And you go to those people and you work with them. You know, they're not using the belief system to further their own status, to make money, to profit, whether someone's Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, Shintoism. You know, are they real people you trust and people that give out love? And I try to find those people, right? People in the military or law enforcement who want justice, not just to kill or nationalism or big business, searching for the truth. And I think a lot of them have to keep a lid on their conscience and may get pushed out. Uh, I don't know, Serpico style, remember? Uh, and, and again, zero credibility here from the source, me. But that should be the name of my podcast, Zero Credibility. Like Jim Otto, zero, number zero for the Robert Parrish. Great, nobody gets those. Okay, my parents had a religious goods and gift store for Christ's sakes, but they were pure, man. Not just in it for the grit, the grift. They were in it for the grit, not just in it for the grift. Uh, sorry, I'm reading my notes. My mom, well, my mom was pure. My dad may have been a little grifty. Strategic planning opportunity. Three million Catholics in Orange County, you know, and not one Catholic goods store. You know, let's get on that. Okay, I don't know if that's Jesus' plan, but uh, still well-intended, well-intentioned. Uh, so the Keepers, Netflix, I think it was uh, either four episodes or six. Rough watch, man, rough watch. Baltimore Nun, back in the late 60s. Just was a, she loved what she did, working with young people, played music, and... Uh, tries to come clean about a young girl who's getting raped and molested at their high school underage girl by the way several of the girls had to endure this being done by some priests there uh one who's passed on one who's i think is still alive somewhere and there's two nuns i believe who want to turn the priests in and blow the whistle but they get murdered and uh they still haven't been able to really pin the crimes on anyone um they have an idea, but uh, again, one of the priests is dead. Really tough to watch, man. So I'm really, what a beautiful way to start the week. Uh, I'm hopeful. This is years ago, by the way. This is at least five years ago, that uh, four years ago maybe, that this Netflix show was released. It's been up there. But I'm hopeful that priests someday are allowed to marry. Uh, and then it's no longer a haven for some of the deviancy that's gone on. Um, I don't know how much of it went on in my college. I'm sure some of it did with uh, some of the priests there. We had so many priests there. Um but uh, rough watch, but necessary. If these people have endured it, we can hear about it, right? We can hear about it. They survived it. Uh, and by the way, these people are still very much, uh, you know, pray, believe in God, Catholic, and see themselves as Catholic, uh, people that endured this. I hope there can be women priests. I know there's more of that now. And the priests can marry, and that will clear up, I think, a lot of the problems. I hope. Maybe I'm naive. Even if that married couple has to leave their estate to the Catholic Church upon death, because um, that's a big thing. That's where... 
that's where they get you. Catholic Church and McDonald's own a lot of land in this old world. And they don't both serve uh, McGriddles in the morning, if you know what I mean. They might. Fundraisers. I used to love pancake breakfast, man. I don't care who puts it on. I'm going. You need money? You need it? I'll buy a $2 ticket. Um, God, there's not enough of those. Boy Scouts, usually? I did one uh, over where I lived in Larchmont. I used to go. They had it once a year. I'd go with a smile on my face. And I think McDonald's. That's where McDonald's and the Catholic Church maybe tie in is where the... Well, no, Boy Scouts. That's separate. Um, okay. So... Um, I might have an opportunity. This came about uh, about a week ago that I'm excited about. We're about halfway through here, and then you can get back to your week. I might have an opportunity in the coming months to use my uh, Nihongo skills, so I'm excited for that, my Japanese. Um, I, uh, I've been brushing up on Japanese this past eight days. It's the most I've studied since I lived there, maybe even more than when I lived there, just studying the past week. I bought a bunch of books because I literally had just given up my books about a month or two ago i had like four books left and i gave them to a pal who's studying alex and sure enough the possibility of getting back into the japanese language comes and i'm like oh great so i hit little tokyo i hit uh is it maruyama marua uh, i think down in uh, costa mesa and uh got some books more of a the chinese kanji something i didn't study hard enough when i studied way back was the uh, chinese characters uh more into that now because, you know, you're more seasoned on life. And I've been contacting my Japanese friends about uh, this language assignment and, t and talking to them. I'm getting, my, You know, I've gotten excited. Um, you know, it's it, you know what's funny about the uh, the Japanese thing is is contacting my Japanese friends about the possible language assignment and talking to them uh, in general. Uh, other exchange students that I was with when I was over there from 93 to 95, none of them get the stand-up comedy thing. They question it. It confuses them. Maybe I was never that interesting or funny in Japanese. So it's just like English. But no, maybe because uh, they're like, you do stand-up comedy. Maybe they don't understand that, like, my friends from England, my friends from Texas. And they're like, oh, okay. I guess I wasn't fun over there. Um, but but it really blows them away. My buddy Dice Game, my buddy Marco. Oh, you do stand-up? Oh, okay. I don't recall you being funny. Anyway, um. Got to do an outdoor, outdoor show last week and going to do one this week at Bistro K, Saturday night, September 26th, 7.30 p.m. Make reservations, no cover charge, no ticket charge, just dinner and drinks, and you have live comedy on the patio, socially distance, everything's safe. And I did one of those shows last week, Surfer Rose here in Santa Monica, West L.A., off Wilshire, being run by uh, Cincinnati's own Justin Wood. Uh, Thursday night show, he's going to try to make it a weekly thing. Uh, Chris Porter and Jamie Kennedy showed up, man. So funny, dude so funny jamie's from i think tennessee but he's been out here forever chris porter's kansas city dude just pros i mean we so much stand-up comedy and and you don't see enough enough live great ones and these guys are great chris uh chris is bit he did like eight minutes on his new couch and uh just how that's become his social scene is the couch he's brilliant man and then jamie kennedy great guy great guy and funny um so um, Justin Wood from Cincinnati, he's the one that runs the show. He's one of like five friends that I randomly picked up when I was driving Uber. Uh, I drove Uber and of the five, four of the random pickups that of people I knew were stand-up comics. One was a stand-up comic's wife that was really funny interaction. That's John Huck's wife now, Nicole, and uh, it was pretty hilarious. But uh, 
there was one childhood friend, which was, uh, that's always a fun situation. But I picked up TJ Chambers. He didn't know what to do. He sat in the back seat. And I was like, why am I back here? We're talking. He's like, oh, hey, man, what's going on? And he sits in the back. He's like, why did I sit in the back? Because he could have been up front with me. But um, God, this is thrilling. So Surfer Rose is where we did this show. Uh, you can watch games there or whatever. Barney's is near my place, but uh, always packed. So I think Surfer Rose might be a good spot. Also, my buddy's place downtown Sunday, where I was yesterday, the Escondite, um, Skid Rokio, right between Little Tokyo and Skid Row. Just a fantastic outdoor space. You can see the LA skyline. Unbelievable food, man. But uh, anyways, the show, Surfer Rose. I went into it last Thursday as if it were a Zoom show, and I was like, ah, do I want to do this outdoors, no sound, dark? And it was enjoyable, you know? It, it, it's such a stand-up comedian thing where we dread shows, but then we love them afterwards. It never goes... We, 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 our expectations get so negative and so bad that, that afterwards it's like... We make it so that no matter how bad the show is, it's still better than our low expectations. That's, I don't know if that's healthy. Can that shift to a positive thing where it's like, no matter what, I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to get something out of this. The audience will feel that vibration and it will be improved instead of going at it like low expectations. Um, anyway, I felt better going home. It's like, uh, it's like a law, law of nature to not want to do it. But then when someone healthy says, don't do it, and we're like, what? And not have something to bitch about, you know? Don't trust a stand-up comedian that doesn't bitch about doing stand-up. But maybe that's everyone in life. Okay. Um, who knows, right? Who knows? What, where are we here? Jesus. Thanks for listening, guys. Keen on Things Podcast. Be sure and subscribe. I mean, would you really want to miss this every week for half an hour? Um, so Surfer Rose, great show. Not enough live opportunities right now for stand-up comics. So that was one. And then this Saturday will be another. But, um, you know, it, it, the complaining, something to bitch about. It's a lot like the news. And just wanting to be in a bad mood. And the networks feed that. They feed on that. You know, watching the news is, you know, just enough. And following the political race. And I've been, you know, I, I, I do minimum. I, I try to spread it out over all three. And then I'll look at BBC. And then I get most of my stuff online. Different sources. And uh, obviously Twitter and such. But... Um, but you got to look out for the heavy handedness and just be like, Oh, Republicans. Oh, look what Dems are doing. And it's like, that talk is terrible, man. Get out of that poison. But I don't think a lot of Americans, a lot even want to get along. There's just certain areas of ends of the spectrum where it's just like, yeah, we hate them. They hate us. We want a bitch. They do too. It's on for life. I think deep down, a lot of Americans think we always need an enemy. It's very unzen, right? It's why both sides are so angry right now. The news, which is entertainment, really, and it gets us so riled up. I don't know if that's a World War II result or if it's Manifest Destiny, where we have to have this enemy. We have to have an enemy to conquer. And it always has to be people, right? And you can say the whole world has that. I don't think so, man. I've, I've met Russians. I've lived with Russians, multiple, men and women. People that grew up in the former Soviet Union, that kind of Russia. They don't have it. There's friction with other countries. Now, even with Chechnya, or when I went to college in the 90s, and then former Soviet states, there's friction, but they all get along. They don't have it in-house like we do. I lived in Japan. I lived in Korea. South Koreans don't even see North Koreans as the enemy, necessarily. 
deep down, Koreans feel that there's only one Korea. Americans hate each other right now more than North and South Korea hate each other. That's weird, and it's not right. Um, my big thing right now, and maybe everybody's or a lot of people's, is China. You know, do they already own us? To what extent? You know, do they have us where they want us? Will they ever attack militarily? If all this Pentagon and military spending is to keep them at bay, I get it. I get it. Then, yeah, we need to because it's a big, powerful country, you know, building islands in the water, you know. Um, but I don't think that the Pentagon money is all to protect us from China. Uh, if it is, then make that clear so idiots like me aren't questioning it. But I don't think it is. Otherwise, Agent Orange would be playing that up, you know. Um even if we need to spend all that money, which too little of it goes to veterans, can we just take one trillion and put it towards poverty line that no American should fall below? Can we do that? Reagan talked about it. You know, at the same time, I'm, I'm hearing about people living in tents on the street who also have a car and a cell phone. Now that's messed up. You know, but that's, I mean, that's a minority of, uh, it's not like half, I would say, or even three, a quarter of homeless people have that. That's a few cases that a lot of people that don't give like to go, oh, no, they have cell phones. They have cars. Okay, there's a few. It's not an excuse to not throw money at, at poverty and at a poverty line. No American should fall under. I mean, come on, we're the richest country ever. I don't mind a few people sucking off that system if, if, it, if, it, if the money helps a majority of the homeless. I don't mind that a few have a cell phone or a car or are tricking us. Okay, as long as there's a poverty, because this is absurd, right? I'm happy to give money, you know, to those projects, to, um, what's that, homeless shelter. Um, uh, who have I been giving money to downtown? I forgot. But I'm happy to give money to wounded warrior projects. I'm happy to do fundraisers for the troops without pay, of course. You know, where would my career be with, without pay? You know, I'm happy to do comedy for the troops. I was scheduled to go over there. But Scott Kennedy, the great guy who coordinated those trips, passed away right when I was making it onto that roster. But I'm happy to do all those things. But they should be gravy because the Pentagon should see to it that our infantry, regardless of policy, uh, is vital for any nation, especially one of this size. Some kid in Kentucky is dying for, you know, dying or losing limbs and faculties. So students at Berkeley and Boulder and Brown or wherever can protest. People who were, they'll never meet each other are risking their lives for each other, giving their lives to that end for that cause. Um, you know, the enemy doesn't have to be the Soviet Union or Islamic fundamentalists or left versus right. The enemy can be greed, misallocation of resources, you know, the climate change, pedophilia, which I had no idea was this rampant. Jesus, people, you know, uh, the enemy can be lies. The enemy can be the bombing of other countries, rigged elections, overthrowing other countries' leaders, tampering with their stock markets and economies. Then we send over troops and say, fix all that. We're not going to tell you everything, just fix all that. What the hell are they supposed to do? Just survive? And they're not always on a side, right? They're in the middle. Our troops. It's not them versus us. It's them versus them, and then sometimes the policymakers in D.C. I guarantee you, they can't listen to exact orders from D.C. all the time, or they'll end up dead. They have to adapt. What am I talking about? But no, they're on their own. They have to make do with the crap situation they're in, you know, uh, with some botched orders from D.C. It's like the police and teachers. Can you go in and just fix everything, please? We're a nation that has turned a blind eye to poverty and health care for generations, and we're asking police to go in and just fix all that, just deal with all that. 
or a teacher to go into a neighborhood in a classroom. Just fix all that. Be a parent, a counselor, and a teacher. It's on all of us, not just them, you know. I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but some of it I do. Some of it I do. I'm not completely wrong. We don't need an enemy at all cost. You know, it's like uh, we're close to finishing here. All right. Um, we don't need an enemy at all costs. We're acting like Wilford Brimley in the firm. It's my job to worry when there's nothing to worry about. Eat Quaker Oats. You're the best damn hitter I ever saw. You know, when you operate under that policy, you keep digging until you begin creating it. We are responsible for creating some of the terrorist state internationally. After 9-11's immediate sadness and anger, you have to ask, why would someone hate us as much? Like, nobody hates our freedom so much they do something like that. Um, you know, it, it's got to be something else. We're responsible for creating some of that. It's a lot. Hey, access to resources that don't belong to us, uh, but other countries have it. Yeah, we'll have a taste. It's not the freedom that did it. It's the actions against those other countries. Once it's affecting them, right, they'll eventually fight back and use resources, whatever they have, their own human bodies. We're responsible for some of that hate and terrorism. Israel is responsible for creating some of Hamas. Okay? I don't think that will cause an uproar. That's pretty clear at this point. Israel's not alone in this. We're their ally. America's complicit. I'm complicit. Okay? We, the powers that be, drive and dig hard enough. We give them a reason to then hate us back because we were looking for an enemy so hard that we got into countries to occupy them illegally take their resources take away their quality of life and they rebel just like the u.s did in its infancy just like many countries do in their infancy just like israel did in its infancy it's not about christ christianity judaism it's control it's money access to land and resources you know the love of democracy yeah i don't think so my opinion that's it uh, i don't think i'm way off here you know, I think I know there's better alternatives to what we're doing and how we're handling it. And, and you know, you can put the religious blanket on it, but the religion's not to blame at all. Uh, okay. Wrapping this up. Um, Lions lost to the Packers for a record trillionth time on Sunday. More Lions have lost to the Packers uh, than how many Lions have ever existed on planet Earth. Um, Daniel is older now um, than Miyagi. Did we know that? In the, in the original Karate Kid movie, um, Bistro K this Saturday night. Yeah, Daniel's older now than Miyagi was originally. Bistro K this Saturday night with Tom Clark and Brian Kiley. Uh, it's my diversity show. It's a birthday thing. So come on out if you can. Make a reservation. Bistro K, 7.30 p.m. with Katya. Um, and then you can text me too if you uh, email me, text, whatever, if you want to get on um, <clears throat> the the guest list i guess or a table or whatever not the guest list it's two comics only uh okay tweets of the week uh on monday i tweeted kirk douglas and Stuart smalley should be in a movie called empaths of glory that's a deep cut empaths of glory get it because kurt russell was in a <laughs> kirk douglas is in a movie called paths of glory uh plus early's snl Stuart smalley was in a you know kind of the self-help guru and uh empath yeah. Okay. On Tuesday, I tweeted, the election is going to be, uh, I can't believe he just said that versus I can't understand what he just said. Two guys, two dudes, uh, where it's shock versus shock, basically shock it. I can't believe that I can't understand one word of what just came out of that guy's mouth. Uh, on Wednesday, I tweeted, 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 Clippers can't handle the altitude. That's very funny because they were playing Denver. They lost to Denver. 
Um, Lakers are up 2-0 right now, so maybe it's the, the uh, Nuggets who can't handle the altitude. It's a joke because the games are all in Orlando. Okay. On Thursday, I tweeted, anyone know uh, which one of my friends are aliens? Asking for a friend. Get it? I'm asking for a friend because, yeah, because people are like, oh, man, like half the people are aliens. People are like, there's aliens among us. I'm like, which ones? I, I, I couldn't tell. What? I'll take the aliens over half the people I know in this town anyway. Um, and on Friday, I tweeted uh, craziest part of the social dilemma, which is also a good view on Netflix, uh, all about the effects of social media on people, is the dynamic of the sample family. The sample family. Because they kind of cover the course. It's like a sample family they cover that uh, gets hooked on social media and what it does to them. And not that it matters, but like it's like a black father and a white mother, which is fine. And then a really young black daughter, maybe mixed race, that could have been their child or a child from another. And then there's just these two high school students, a high school, a white high school son and an older daughter who's kind of in high school, but kind of plays the role of an aunt. She seems older than the rest of the students. Um, maybe that's it. And I just nailed it. I don't know. But uh, check out Social Dilemma on Netflix, too. Uh, okay, this Sunday, Bistro K, guys, sorry, this is this ran a little bit long here. <laughs> Jesus, three minutes, which is a lot of too long when it's my voice. Um, yeah, it's just some crazy spoutings. And uh, happy birthday to me on Sunday next week. I'll have some more to tell you about. So thanks for listening. Subscribe, Keen on Things podcast. You can find me at Keen of Comedy on uh, Instagram. I almost said Netflix. Keen of Comedy on Twitter, uh, YouTube and uh, even uh, TikTok, which that's a whole different thing. All right, love you. Thanks for listening to you.